Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T, and if true crime is your jam and like me, you enjoy delving into unsolved cases, trying to figure out who done it, please consider subscribing. Also, if you enjoy my videos, please hit that like button. Bridge Guy, The Delphi Murders, Episode 5, Possible Persons of Interest, Ron Logan, and Kagan and Tony Klein. Five years have passed since 14-year-old Liberty or Libby German and 13-year-old Abigail or Abby Williams were found dead in a gully below the Monin High Bridge in Delphi, Indiana. Over that time, many names and faces have emerged in connection with the double homicide. But as of June 2022, no one has been arrested or charged with the murder. What once appeared easily solvable, thanks to a photograph, two sketches, a brief audio clip of the suspect saying, down the hill, and a video showing Bridge Guy walking, is a case that has essentially, if not gone cold, at least chilly. The police aren't saying that, but it certainly has felt that way at times over the past few years. According to the police in Indiana, they still have a dedicated team working daily on the case, which includes two Carroll County detectives and two Indiana State Police detectives. Today, I want to go through some of the possible persons of interest, or POIs, that have been discussed in connection with Libby and Abby's murders. What's shocking is how many offenders seem to resemble to some extent, the first released sketch of Bridge Guy, the one where the man appears middle-aged and is wearing a cap. And by offenders, I mean guys who have criminal records and backgrounds that fit the perp's profile to some degree. Days after the photo of Bridge Guy was released, at least 15 tipsters called in the name of the same person that they believed was in that photo. 77-year-old farmer Ron Logan. There were people who knew Logan and thought it was him on that bridge. Two of Logan's former girlfriends also told the police that Logan was physically abusive to them, and one said he'd threatened to kill her, that Libby and Abby were found on Logan's property along Deer Creek and east of the Monin High Bridge and 1,400 feet from Logan's house didn't help him. Although Logan was elderly, he was said to have no trouble walking or getting up and down the hills along the creek. In addition, his build was similar to that of Bridge Guy's. And many people said that Logan dressed like Bridge Guy. In the photo, some people see a fanny pack on the man, although it's impossible to really know for sure because the photo is so grainy. Apparently, Logan wore a fanny pack. Note that I'm using the past tense, and that's because Ronald Logan died on January 24th of 2022 of COVID-19. Recently, a probable cause affidavit for a search warrant written by an FBI agent on March 17th of 2017 and filed just over a month after the girls' bodies were discovered was leaked to the public through a podcast called The Murder Sheet. 
In the affidavit, the FBI agent was laying out a case against Ron Logan in order to get a judge to grant a search warrant for Logan's house and property. One of the hosts of the murder sheet, Anya Kane, said this, I'm not necessarily convinced that Ron Logan was involved in this. Some of the circumstantial evidence against him is intriguing and should absolutely be looked at. End quote. So let's talk about that circumstantial evidence and the information that was leaked in the probable cause affidavit. First off, though, I want to say that the police would have likely gotten a search warrant for Logan's property, even if the 15 tipsters and two ex-girlfriends hadn't reported him to the police. And that's simply because Libby and Abby were found on his land and 1,400 feet from his house. The affidavit also stated that Ron Logan's voice was not dissimilar to that of Bridge Guy. That's not a very strong statement, not dissimilar. Logan was also known to possess handguns and knives. Now, to get a search warrant, law enforcement will pretty much list anything that's nefarious on the affidavit to convince the judge that there's enough probable cause to grant the search warrant. So they're going to dig up anything and everything they can on a person to try and make them look like a possible POI. Another detail the police listed in the search warrant was that Logan's cell phone showed it was in Delphi, near the murder scene that afternoon, and was likely outside and in the proximity of the crime scene. Now, before you say, that's it, it had to be Logan, Let's think about all this. Logan lived in Delphi and on that land. He was also a cattle farmer, so he spent time outside on his property. His cell phone likely pinged there every single day of the week for as long as there were cell towers in the area. I believe the police put that in the affidavit to compel the judge to sign it. It doesn't really hold much weight when you consider the proximity of Logan's house to the tower. It looks bad, but there's a logical explanation for it. But there's more circumstantial evidence that did make Logan look sus as all get out. Most alarming is that Logan lied to the investigators. Here's how that went down. It turns out that Ron Logan had a long criminal history of traffic violations in Delphi. Most of those were for driving under the influence, or DUIs. In fact, the local police knew Logan because of all this. Also, Logan was on probation when the girls went missing, and he was not supposed to be driving alone at the time. On the day the girls went hiking, Logan drove himself to an aquarium store in Lafayette, Indiana, violating his probation. When Logan found out that there were two girls missing out on that land, and the police asked him what he was up to that day, he lied, and he said he was with his cousin and the cousin drove to the aquarium store with him. He likely wanted to make sure he had someone who could back up his alibi, and I'm sure he was paranoid that if the police found out that he drove himself to Lafayette, they would likely toss him in jail for violating his probation. 
So Logan called his cousin on the morning of February 14, 2017, before the girls were found, to tell the cousin that if the police asked him, he should say that he picked up Logan at his house between 2 and 2.30 on February 13th, the day of the murders, and drove him to an aquarium store in Lafayette, and that they returned home between 5 and 5.30 p.m. So let me make that really clear. Logan asked his cousin if he'd go along with a false alibi while hundreds of people were still searching for Libby and Abby and before the girls were discovered. Also, Logan asked his cousin to say he was with him between 2 to 5.30 p.m. on that Monday. Note that the girls were likely abducted by Bridge Guy around 2.10 p.m. If Logan had been the perpetrator, wouldn't he have said he was with the cousin from maybe earlier in the day, say starting at noon or 1 p.m.? It doesn't make sense to come up with a false alibi that starts right at the time the girls are abducted. The police discovered Logan was lying to them when they found a receipt from the aquarium store, and it showed that Logan checked out at the register at 5.21 p.m. Note that that store is about 30 minutes by car from Logan's property. By lying about his whereabouts and asking another person to lie for him made Logan look oh so guilty, even if his times were off. A local TV station interviewed Ronald Logan about the alibi, and this is what he said about it. Monday afternoon, I was in Lafayette Aquarium World, getting tropical fish for my aquarium. So when I came home, one of the neighbors asked for permission to come back here and search for the missing girls, and that's the first time I heard anything about it. So I fooled with my tropical fish the whole time the search was going on Monday night, but then they didn't find them until around Tuesday, around noon or one or whatever it was, end quote. Now, if we were actual investigators and criminal profilers, we would not rush to judgment on all of this. We would try to poke holes in it because we want to be sure we find the actual murderer, not just someone who looks on the surface as if he could be the guy. So what else did that leaked probable cause affidavit say? The police also wrote the following on the warrant, and I quote, The bodies were moved and staged, and a large amount of blood was lost by the victims at the crime scene. Because of the nature of the victims' wounds, it is nearly certain the perpetrator of the crime would have gotten blood on his person slash clothing, end quote. Now, I want to talk about the staging bit in a separate video, so I'm not going to go into that and what that might mean right now. It's a topic that has been much speculated on in this case, and it's a fascinating element of it. So I do want to chat about that, but just not right now in this video. The affidavit also stated that the killer took two articles from one of the girls, possibly as souvenirs from his sick deed. Another noteworthy piece of information in the affidavit is that the full video that Libby took is 43 seconds long. So based on all of this, 
the judge signed the search warrant and the police searched Logan's property, looking for blood evidence and those two articles of clothing. And guess what? They found absolutely nothing. So while Ron Logan looks so guilty and so sus on paper, he may not be the one who actually committed the crime, which is just mind-boggling, right? When you read or learn of all this, you think, it's got to be him. Now, personally, I don't want Logan to be Bridge Guy, only because he's deceased and he cannot be punished for the deed. That would be so deflating at this point. I want whoever did this to be alive and well so that they can suffer the full consequences of their evil deed. Note that the police let Logan go home on house arrest when it was clear that he was dying. If Logan had been someone they seriously believed was responsible for this most heinous crime, I doubt they would have released him from jail early. So now let's move on to two men who look highly suspicious and who pretty much check all the boxes of the profile. But let me state once again that no one has been charged with this crime, so we must not accuse anyone of it. I'm just saying that these two guys fit the profile better than Ron Logan did. In 2021, police announced a bombshell. A man named Anthony Schatz had been communicating with Libby German prior to her death and in fact even communicated with her on the day she died. As the mad scramble to hunt down Anthony Schatz was unfolding, the investigators soon discovered that it was actually a fake social media account. Anthony Schatz was a fake person, and the photos that were supposedly of him actually belonged to a muscular and attractive male model from Alaska. The man whose photos were used didn't know this was going on. He's since become a police officer and has said that his photos were used by a lot of people on Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, Kik, and multiple dating websites to create fictitious profiles. He's quoted as saying this, It's frustrating as a police officer knowing that my photo was used for so many heinous crimes and continues to be used as such. I feel incredibly helpless. I'd love to be there when they find this guy so I can throw the cuffs on him myself. End quote. When investigators dug into the Anthony Schatz profile, they saw that the account actually belonged to a portly 27-year-old guy with raggedy facial hair named Kagan Anthony Klein of Peru, Indiana, a guy who has none of the male model's allure and who likely would not have attracted any young women to his profile had he used his actual photo. Kagan said he used the account to contact both girls he knew and girls he didn't know. He said he would talk to girls even if they were under the age of 16, and he found them on Instagram and then told them to message him on Snapchat. He also allegedly claimed that he received pictures from all the girls he chatted with. Now, what freaks me out about that is that Kagan appears to have targeted girls in the area where he lived, not just girls around the world. It makes it seem as if he maybe really did have plans to try and meet these girls. 
Note that Kagan Klein and his father, Tony Klein, were on law enforcement's radar first in February of 2017. On February 25, 2017, just 12 days after the bodies of Libby and Abby were discovered, the Klein home in Peru, Indiana was raided by police. Now, Tony Klein has a long history of DV issues. He used DV on his wife and his stepchildren. Tony Klein was also accused of stalking a child in the past. He and his son, Kagan, both have been found to have strong sexual preferences for children, something that definitely fits the profile of Libby and Abby's killer. Also, Tony Klein resembles Bridge Guy physically, and Kagan Klein's voice bears a strong resemblance to that of Bridge Guy, which makes me wonder if somehow both of them could have been there at the Monin High Bridge that day, even though we only see one man in the video. I'm just wondering. Note that when Kagan Klein was given a polygraph back in February of 2017, he was said to have failed it, meaning that he showed deception. Now, a lot of people don't put too much stock into polygraphs. I, however, feel differently. I once took one when I was applying for the FBI. I found the test intimidating as all get out, and I sweated my way through the whole experience. My takeaway was that the polygraph was very accurate, very spot on, at least in my case. I might do a video about that experience sometime because it is pretty interesting. But I digress. When interrogated, Klein admitted to investigators that he used the social media account to communicate with Libby German on the day she was killed, and law enforcement confirmed this. Anthony Schatz also wrote to one of Libby's friends that he had plans to meet up with Libby on the morning of February 13, 2017, but that she failed to show up. In his interrogation, Kagan Klein adamantly denied sending that message. However, Kagan lied throughout the interrogation, so we can't put too much stock in his denial. Note that Libby was apparently enthralled with Anthony Schatz, and who could blame her if she thought that young male model was the guy writing to her, and he seemed interested in her. She was probably on cloud nine thinking that cute guy found her cute too. Now Libby's grandmother, Becky Patty, has said that it was startling to hear that her granddaughter had been communicating with the Kleins. Becky told WDRB the following, It was a real shock because then I had to face the fact that I didn't monitor her phone or social media enough. End quote. Kagan Klein was also found to have searched how long does DNA last on his computer. Very damning activities, which don't look good for him. Of course, Kagan has denied any involvement in the Delphi murders. Note that two other devices at the Klein home, a home he shared with his father, Tony, also logged into the Anthony Schatz profile, and Kagan has admitted that he shared his password to the fake account with others. 
it may be that Tony Klein was also logging into the Anthony Schatz account and communicating with Libby and her friends. It has been said that whoever was writing to Libby and other young girls from the Klein home had two separate communication styles or writing voices. One of the writing styles is very different from the other. Could this be because both Kagan and Tony Klein were using that profile and both writing to the girls? Possibly. On August 29, 2020, three years after the murders, Kagan Klein was arrested and charged with 30 counts, including child exploitation, possession of child porn, and obstruction of justice. Kagan remains in jail to this day. When interviewed by HLN, he said that the Indiana State Police reportedly told him they knew it was my dad that killed Abby and Libby, meaning his father, Tony Klein. It appears that although the Kleins were on law enforcement's radar in February of 2017, they sort of put them on the back burner as they looked into Ron Logan. Now law enforcement is circling back to the Kleins. Former FBI agent Kathy Guider has said of law enforcement, I think they are taking their time because they don't want any mistakes. End quote. What's important now is that everyone realizes that the Delphi case is not yet solved. Some people, after learning about the information in the leaked probable cause affidavit to get the search warrant for Ron Logan's property, thought Logan is bridge guy. So they started taking flyers down in Delphi about Libby and Abby's case. Well, guess what, people? The case isn't solved yet. It won't be solved until the police say it is, or until someone, or someone's plural, are arrested and charged with the double homicide. We need to keep digging, keep getting the word out for Abby and Libby, because they deserve justice, and their families deserve to know the truth, and the monster or monsters responsible need to be put away forever. Now, there were other names of possible POIs in the case. People like Paul Etter, who was wanted for the kidnapping and physical assault of a 26-year-old woman in Tippecanoe County, Indiana, and who later shot himself. Daniel Nations, an Indiana resident who looks a lot like the first sketch of Bridge Guy and who is an RSO. And James Brian Chadwell II, of Lafayette, Indiana, who is accused of locking a naked 10-year-old girl in his basement and attacking her. But for many, including me, I think the Kleins have to be at the top of the list of the possible persons of interest. If you have any information that may help investigators, please call the tip line at 844-459-5786. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, hey, do me a favor, hit that like button, leave me a comment, and for goodness sakes, subscribe if you haven't yet done so.